If you guys would grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Deuteronomy. Um, they call the first five books of the Bible the Pentateuch. Penta for five. So the fifth book of the Bible. Fifth chapter really. And uh, so you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. If you have been with us from the beginning, it has been probably two and a half years since we started in Genesis. And we have gone chapter by chapter and verse by verse all the way through. Uh, I saw a post yesterday on Facebook. Um, Lita had put up, uh, Andrew's wife, that we uh, were having church on December, I think it was around the 15th or so, of 2015, and we were starting the book of Exodus. So we've come a long way in two years here, really. Now we're in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy will probably go a little quicker. Um, we're going to, to go through it because we just went through numbers. And, and really, a lot of this relates back to Exodus and, and Leviticus. But through numbers, we told this story one more time. And um, the, the word Deuteronomy means a second law or repetition of the law. Now... Um, we can see the importance of this in our own lives and culture. The idea of repeating history, the idea of repeating uh, ordinances and laws and things to a generation that hasn't been aware uh, as keenly of those things as our forefathers were. So for instance, my dad was in World War II. Many of our parents were in World War II or in Vietnam. Some of, our, some of us here were involved actively with the military during more recent conflicts. So, uh, but in World War II, one of the great events was what? The, the bombing at Hiroshima, right? The nuclear bomb. And yet, when December 7th rolls around, it's a long time ago, December 7th, 1941, wasn't it? Is that correct? No. No, what is it? Yeah. 40, 45. 45, pardon me, 45. See, even I've got it wrong. Oh, oh, the, bomb. the bomb being dropped oh. on Hiroshima, was it 45? Yeah. 45. 45, okay, yes, you're right, because it ended the whole thing, right? December 7th? December 7th. 41 Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor is the bombing. Oh, that's right, okay, so it was Hiroshima mm -hmm. was uh, 45, but you're right, Pearl Harbor is what I'm thinking of. December 7th, 1941 was Pearl Harbor. That's the date. The day that we'll live in infamy. Infamy, right, right. But, but most people, if you say, what's the day that lives in infamy? Most of our kids won't know, right? Well, let's say 9-11. 9-11, right? A lot of them will. But even then, I, I've watched videos where they go to college campuses and kids are unaware of 9-11. Yeah. <laughs> So what's the importance of why should we remember Pearl Harbor? So we don't repeat it. What did we go to war for in World War II? We were fighting what? We were fighting despotism and socialism and, and uh, the, the encroachment of communism, right? And we were, we were preventing a, a global domination by one group or one man, right? 
And, uh, and so, but now it's so hard to imagine that we've come to this point in this country where we are leaning towards that agenda. We're leaning towards uh, leaving aside the Constitution that founded this country, right? It's hard to believe, but the reason I bring that up is not so we can get into a political discussion. I don't want to get into a political discussion this morning. The reason I bring that up is because here you have a, ch a, a group of people who have grown up wandering through the wilderness. They didn't know the same hardships that their parents knew in Egypt. They're forgetting that history. They, they're not, it's not as keenly in their mind. The, the 400 years of bondage is now starting to fade away. And not only that, but those people that came through as little children growing up in the wilderness. You know, my kids are not as keenly aware of the dangers surrounding us, even here in the valley, as they're little. Joshua has, has half of the conception of what's going on in this area that his, his older brother does. And, and compared to, to Kim and I and our older kids... The things that are going on around us are, are right in front of us and we're keenly aware of them. We, we know what people are going through. We know what people are dealing with. And, and, and even in our own families, we may have situations that really our kids are, are kind of shielded from, right? So you have this whole generation that has not seen or heard so many of the things that are important to following after the Lord. And so... What we have in Deuteronomy is a retelling of the story of the history. We have a retelling of the laws. We have a repurposing uh, or a re-encouragement, uh, uh, really, of people to, to avoid the idolatry, to, to flee those sexual immoralities, to, to stay steadfast to the Lord, to stay married within believers. At that point, it was just the Jewish church, right? And so you have all these things that God wants to reinstate, remind the children of those things that brought them out of Egypt and that they learned in the wilderness and to see God's provision and His care and His love for them. And so that's where we're at. And of course, during that whole process, we see God's love by when they make mistakes, how they deal with those mistakes and how God deals with those mistakes in their lives. What does He do to get them back on the right track, get the general population back on the right track? So, Deuteronomy, according to, you know, if, if you don't have a copy of it, it's probably good, but I have Halley's Bible Handbook. You guys have a copy of that? Mm -hmm. Fantastic book to get. You can, a lot of times at the bookstores, they'll even have them on the, as they put out a new edition, they'll, they'll put out the, the, and they don't change that much, honestly, from year to year. They might change a couple of the pictures or some of the fonts. or, But um, a, a fantastic book. It's a handbook that covers every single book of the Bible, gives you a general overview of the chapters, and, and some key points and highlights. So as you're reading the scriptures, you can turn to Halley's and say, what is the book of Deuteronomy about, right? What is the book of Genesis? What is, what's the key points? Go ahead. Uh, Henrietta Mears has what the Bible is all about. It's similar to that. Okay. Very good. 
What's the, what the Bible is all about by... Henrietta Mears. Hen, Henry Adam Mears. Yeah. Okay, so it that's goes, another one. It goes book by book of the Bible giving you the important aspects of everything. Yeah, and they're just great standards to have. They're, they're not really... I mean, it's hard to find any sort of study resource that doesn't have some sort of theological bent. So, um, <laughs> But in any case, these are as general as you can get. They're... They're just a, a good guideline for reading through the Bible. But anyway, in Halley's, this is what they had to say about the book of Deuteronomy. They, he t they tell us that it, the book of Deuteronomy is written in the form of a treaty between God and Israel. In the old days, they, had a, a, they, they would declare a treaty, and it had several parts, six parts in particular. First of all, there's an introduction to the author and, and, and his right to proclaim this treaty. So we start out with this, with God as the author. We start out with Moses here and the, the agreement of the parties here. And uh, that's in chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Then chapter 2, or pardon me, it continues. The second part is a survey of the past relationship between the parties. Wow. You know, uh, when you go to court, have you ever thought about this? You go to court, and um, you, you, I, I don't know if you've sat on a jury, uh, but if you sit on, I, I mean, you probably should have by now, but anyway, if you're an adult, but um, you sit on the jury, and they pull up the record of the guy on trial, right? You've been in and out of jail since you were 14 years old, right? And you haven't learned your lesson yet. And these are some of the, the highlights of your offenses. And now here you are in front of us again. And this time it's for whatever, right? There's a, a, a survey of past relationships. God gives a survey here of the past relationship between himself and Israel. There is a listing of the obligations from chapter 4 to chapter 26. What is God obligated to? What are you obligated to, right? Then there is a building of the sacrificial altar. A lot of times when, when they made agreements in those days, they would offer up a sacrifice and share, share in that sacrifice. And so that would be a blood covenant, right? You would, you know, there would be a blood. So there's a, a sacrificial altar built. There's a recording of the document on the altar so that everybody might see that document and be able to read it for themselves. That's in chapter 27. Then there are curses and blessings. If you follow the contract, the treaty, these are the blessings that will occur. If you break this treaty, these are the things that will happen to you. God will withdraw his favor from you in these areas because you're not following the treaty. And then finally, in the last chapters, 31 and 32, you have witnesses to the treaty. And in this case, it's who? Who are the witnesses? All the children of Israel, Moses, and the Lord, right? So that's the general program here with Deuteronomy. That's what we're looking at. We're examining a treaty between God and Israel. Why is it important for us? Ah, we, we celebrate a treaty every single time we have communion, don't we? This is the blood of the New Covenant, the New Testament. Right? Jesus' shed blood is that, that, that blood sacrifice that sealed the deal, so to speak. 
set the contract, set the treaty between us and God. And we know that that on our part, what is our part in the treaty? We're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, love our neighbor as ourselves, right? And, And how do we express that love? God says, if you obey me, right? That's the expression of love. So, now God on his part promises then to what? To give you eternal life, right? Promises to save you. Promises to give you his Holy Spirit. Your Holy, the Holy Spirit, what? Does what for you? Guides and directs you. Leads you in the paths of righteousness. Enlightens you as you read the word. Gives you that, that direct line of communication between God the Father Jesus Christ, right? The promise of persecution, too. The promise of persecution, yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Why? Because now you're, now you're an enemy of the world, so to speak. Right? The world hates you because they hate Jesus. And he promises strength in the face of persecution. Yep. Now, here's the thing, though. You should rejoice when people persecute you for being a believer. When they, when they call you names when they uh, chide you, when they get upset with you for being a believer and for acting rightly. Why? Why should? Because that's part of the proof, isn't it? Yeah. If they hated Jesus, they're going to hate you. If nobody hates you in the world, then are you really saved? And I'm not saying go out and, and stir up trouble to get hated, right? <laughs> We're all really good at that already. <laughs> Right? All I have to do is, is get selfish and we can get everybody mad. That, yeah. <laughs> Some of us have people mad at us right now with no reason. And so, anyway. <laughs> Alright, so let's run through real quick. There's about nine, eight or nine sections really that the book of Deuteronomy covers. So, um, I'm just going to run through them real quick. First of all, in chapters 1 to 3. That's what we were hoping to cover today. I don't know if we'll make it, but we'll see. Um, they record an 11-day journey that took 38 years. <laughs> an 11-day journey that took 30, 38 years, and really it's not finished until this book. This book is about the last month and a half of Moses' life. It's the 40th year in the 11th hour, 11th month. They're going to, at the, the 41st year and 10 days, they finally cross the Jordan. God, God was true to his word 40 years. And then 10 days later, they walk in. It's amazing. Anyway, um, if you're not getting what, what took them 38 years, why? Sin and rebellion. That's what it boils down to. Sin and rebellion. You see, if, if you're not getting to where you think God would have you to be, consider the sin in your life. Right? Now, do we, do the, did the children of Israel finally get to that destination? Yeah, but God, God slowed them down, didn't He? They were right at the door and they, they rebelled. And then God said, okay, you don't want to go in? You don't have to go in. But you're going to die out here. Right? And your children, they'll go in, but you're not going to get to go in. So, 
If, if that's the problem, if that's what's holding you back from getting to where God is taking you and where you believe that God is taking you, then repent, right? Just repent and seek that forgiveness that He has for you. Think of how much easier it would have gone for the children of Israel if every time they messed up, they just gone to the Lord and said, Lord, we messed up. But instead, they do what each and every one of us do when we get in trouble. Oh man, I'm going to go hide. Where are you going to hide from God? <laughs> right? He says, if I make my, what did the psalmist say? If I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I go to the depths of the sea, you are there. If I go to the highest of the heavens, you are there. Where could I possibly run from the presence of the Lord? Some people hide in church. Does it work? Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Chapters 4 through 6, they reiterate the command of God to teach and observe the entire law. Uh, the Ten Commandments are repeated and the great Shema, which we sang this morning, are, are given. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, is how it's written there. And it's repeated over and over, again in chapter 10 and chapter 11 several times. And it was repeated by Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, verses, uh, verse 37. Chapter 7 to 11, recall the wonders in the wilderness, the need for spiritual and sexual purity, the persistent rebellion, the blessings of obedience, and it gives the command again to destroy the Canaanites and all of their idols. If they failed in this, the Canaanites would be a snare to them. That's one of those precious Bible promises that nobody likes to talk about, right? Just like uh, Edie brought up. Um, all right, uh, chapters 11 to 16, the giving of various ordinances concerning idolatry, sacrifices, tithing, and feast days. Uh, 17 and 18 are prophecies concerning a future king for Israel. We saw that finally fulfilled in Saul, didn't we? King Saul, who uh, preceded David. And then also a warning about having that king. And then a prophecy about a prophet like Moses who would come, Jesus the Messiah. Uh, chapters 19 to 26, more laws, cities of refuge, rules of warfare, laws for murder, rebellious sons and daughters, and, a, and, and practical things like rooftop safety and the installation of railings or uh, parapets to keep people from falling off. If you didn't have a railing or a parapet, you could be blamed for the death of somebody falling off of your roof. Now, why was that important to them? Because when you were escaping the heat in the evening, you could go and they could go and sleep up on the roof, right? In a, in the desert there. Anyway, uh, it was a place. That, it was another part of their home to enjoy. Anyway, chapter twenty-seven: the law is recorded and set up on stones on Mount Ebal, so people could know the law. Twenty-eight to thirty: the curses and blessings portion of the treaty. Moses' last words to the children of Israel are there. And then, 31 to 34, Moses records the last of his words in a book and passes the command to Joshua. The last song of Moses is written down, the blessings and the prophecies of Moses to the 12 tribes, and finally, the death of Moses on Mount Nebo is recorded. That's what we're looking forward to as we go through Deuteronomy. It should be a rather exciting journey for us, I think. I think uh, we'll, we'll learn a lot about it. Turn with me, if you would, though, to Deuteronomy chapter 1, and we'll look at verse 1.
All right. These be the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of the Jordan in the wilderness, in the plain over against the Red Sea between Paran and Tophel and Laban and Hazroth and Dizba. Dizhab, pardon me. There are eleven days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir unto Kadesh Barnea. Now, they are basically at Kadesh Barnea now on, on the Jordan. It came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. After he had slain Sihon, the king of the Amorites, which dwelt in Heshbon, Og, the king of Bashan, which dwelt at Ashtaroth and Edri, on this side of the Jordan in the land of Moab, began Moses to declare this law, saying, The Lord our God spoke to us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough in this mountain. Turn you and take your journey and go to the mount of the Amorites and to all the places near unto there, in the plain, in the hills, in the vale, in the south, and by the seaside, to the land of the Canaanites, to Lebanon, to the great river, the river Euphrates. Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them and to their seed after them. And I spoke to you at that time, saying, I'm not able to bear you myself alone. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude. Does that sound like a familiar promise? He says, at this point, you're millions. Back then, Abraham, what was, remember, Abraham couldn't have any kids. How old was he when he finally started having kids? A hundred years old. And I'm sure at a hundred years old he thought, you know what, maybe I'm just nuts. Maybe I think I heard the Lord. Right? And yet God fulfilled that. He took that one child, his true son, right? And his wife Sarai was was barren. She became Sarah. So you had Abraham and Sarah. And... and, um, uh, they had that son, uh, Isaac. Anyway, and so and then Isaac, of course, had who? Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob had the 12 sons. And then out of those 12 sons, here we are, 400 some years later, 440 years later, millions. Talk about reproduction, right? So, Lord your God multiplied you. You're this day like the stars of heaven for multitude. The Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times so many more as you are and bless you as he has promised you. And Moses said, how can I myself bear alone your cumbrance, your burden, and your strife? You know, um, we have had in our house a, um, a rough week. You know, it's been it's been challenging, and I think you know what we just have a small group here, a small fellowship, and I'm not saying just right here, but with family and friends and and situations far and wide, um, north and south and east and west, there are things that we have heard about that just oh Lord, I right. They just grieves, and I'm not alone. You guys have ministries yourselves to family. You have people in your own families and in your own friendship circles that are, man, they're grieving you. 
And here you have Moses, who the Lord put in charge of several million people. Can you imagine what he says here? I mean, this, is, this doesn't even begin to touch what he's feeling. Cumbrances, burdens, and strife. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. <laughs> All right? So, remember, this is where he got the 70 elders. So, he said, the Lord said to him, Take wise men and understanding and known among your tribes, and I will make them rulers over you. And you answered me, and you said, The thing which you have spoken is good for us to do. So I took the chief of your tribes, wise men and known, and made them heads over you, captains over thousands, captains over hundreds, captains over fifties, captains over tens, and officers among your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time, saying, Here are the causes between your brethren, and judge righteously between every man and his brother and the stranger that is with him. You shall not respect persons in judgment, but you will hear the small as well as the great. You will not be afraid of the face of man for judgment, for the judgment is God's and the cause that is too hard for you. Bring it to me and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things which you should do. Now, when I read that verse in me, it strikes a chord. Because of, partially because of our political system right now. But it's not unique to the United States, so I don't need to get into Democrat and Republican and all that. It's, it's global. But here's the thing. God says that I have written my law where? On your heart. Men's hearts, that's why when, when the law is preached, it pricks the hearts of all men. We just know it's not right to do certain things. Right? We know it's not right to murder somebody. That's just common sense. We, and, and it doesn't matter whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. Feelings get hurt and, 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 and damaged and torn and ripped apart when, when a man goes off with a woman that's not his wife. Or a woman goes off with a man that's not her husband. It's just common sense. It's because God's law is written on our hearts and that cuts across all societies. We know that it's wrong to steal, right? I mean, at least you think you know that it's wrong to steal. And certainly you get offended when somebody steals from you, even if you are a thief. So he says, part of the law here is you won't respect persons in judgment, but you'll hear the small as well as the great. That's why when we see people who have uh, connections, people who see, have money, people who have power, get away with stuff that you and I would never in a million years get away with. That's why it grates on you. That's why it grates on me. Because God said, you shall not respect persons in judgment, but you'll hear the small as well as the great. In other words, when it comes to right and wrong, we're all on the same level playing field. God built that into you. That's why it's that way. So, he said, I command you at that time all the things which you should do. Verse 19, when we departed from Horeb, we went through all that great and terrible wilderness, which you saw by the way of the mountain of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you're come to the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord your God doth give us. Behold, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of your fathers has said to you. Don't be afraid, nor be discouraged. 
This is the first time. This is not now. This is the first time 40 years earlier, 38 years earlier, right? And the Lord said, go in. And you came to me. Now, remember, we didn't read this in Numbers. We actually had to come to Deuteronomy and look at this. But Numbers didn't tell us that the the people came and said, let's send spies in. We just read in Numbers that they sent the spies in to spy out the land. But he says here, you came near to me, every one of you. And he said, we're going to send men before us and they'll search out the land and bring us word again by what way we must go up and into what cities we will come. And the saying pleased me well. And I took 12 men of you, one of a tribe. And they turned and they went up into the mountain and came to the valley of Eshcol and searched it out. And they took of the fruit of the land in their hands. They brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, it's a good land which the Lord our God doth give us. It's a good place. Right? Notwithstanding, you would not go up, but you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and you said, because the Lord God, because the Lord hated us, He's brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Let that sink in for a second. I, I was listening to, or not listening, I was reading Chuck Smith's commentary and he said this one thing. He says, that borders on blasphemy. Look what he said. It's a horrible thing to say. The Lord God hated us because He hated us. He brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. God has expressed His love to them and to us over and over and over again. God so loved the world. Who's in the world? Each and every one of us came out of the world. In a sense, we were in an, a type of Egypt. Egypt is a, a picture, a type, a a metaphor for the world, isn't it? And for sin and for bondage. We, the Lord tells us that we were slaves to bondage and in bondage to sin. The, the flesh has, had us entrapped, enslaved. And God came and He set us free. He pointed the way out. He gave us a Savior. And just as in this book, a Messiah, a Savior is promised to be like unto Moses, who delivered the people out of that land of bondage, Jesus has come and, and pointed the way for us to be delivered out of that, that place of bondage. And, and like so many of them, what did they say? Oh, if only we could go back to Egypt. Wow. God didn't want them living in the wilderness any more than He wants you living in the wilderness. But He's got a place for us, a promised land, right? And He's waiting to take us into that place until that right and appropriate time. But they would not go up. They rebelled and they said, God, you hated us so much that you brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to kill us here. Where shall we go up? Our brothers, verse 28, have discouraged our heart, saying, this people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. These couple of first chapters, three chapters, talk over and over and over again about the giants that were in that land. 
And these guys were huge. Even by today's standards, many of these guys were indeed giants. I was reading last night, they said that in the United States, that um, any time that there is an archaeological find with fossils of these giants, since the 1950s, the, the articles have been hushed. The articles have been uh, hidden away. But previous to the 1950s, it was common for uh, archaeological digs when they found giants to, to publicize that. Uh, there was one article that was written in 1910. Uh, they found in Wisconsin, uh, in Delavan, I believe it was Wisconsin, a, 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 a place, a dig, where there were multiple skeletons of giants there. They were giant guys. They were 10 feet tall. They were, you know, and, and we know that it's possible for men to reach 10 and 12 feet tall. It, it's happening. You, all you got to do is pull up a copy of Guinness World Book of Records. You see, giantism still happens. So, uh, anyway, but uh, this area had lots of giants. And, and he'll list off all these different tribes of giants. So anyway, they said that these people, they're, they're the sons of the Anakims. They're gigantic. And I said to you, dread not, neither be afraid of them. The Lord your God which goes before you, he'll fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. He says, look, look, you are under the thumb of the most powerful nation, the most powerful army in the world at the time. And you had pitchforks essentially compared to, to Uzis, right? Compared to, to automatic weapons. You had nothing in comparison to the training of this great army. And yet God says, I was able to take you out of that nation where you were slaves. Why are you worried about a couple of giants? But, but is the problem too big for God? Not hardly. So the Lord your God which goes before you, he will fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you have seen how that the Lord your God bore you as a man bears his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in this thing, and this is the sad commentary, yet in this thing you did not believe the Lord your God. God made promises to you and me, and we don't believe it. I met a man recently, and he 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 is questioning the the, the errancy of, uh, of the validity, the, the truth of the Word of God. Is it in Aaron or not? What do you guys think? Is the Bible true? Yes. Here's my my question for people who have that question about the whether the Bible's in Aaron or not, and if they think that they are believers. And it's just a basic question. But it, my question is, if you think the Bible is not completely inerrant, then how do you know that you're saved? Because you're basing your salvation on that Word of God. So how do you determine that that piece of the Word of God that says that you're saved by faith, saved by believing in the Lord and what Jesus Christ did on the cross, how do you know that that's true or not if there's other parts that aren't true? You see, if, if I went to court today, again, and stood in, in, in testimony, and I start lying, and it's proved that I'm lying on, the, on the, the witness stand, what does the judge need to do with the rest of my testimony? 
If, if he can't believe this part of my testimony, how can he believe the rest? My testimony has become worthless. And, and so it is with the Word of God. If it's not all true, then none of it can be held as truth. That's a pretty tall demand. But I do believe that the Word of God is inerrant and that the Lord said what He meant and meant what He said. I know you've heard it said, uh, uh, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. But you know what? That's, that's heresy. David Hawking is right when he says that. He says that's heresy. It, whether I believe it or not is, is irrelevant. God said it, that settles it. Amen. That's true. But whether I believe it or not, that's, that's, that's errancy. That's and, and heresy. Right? It doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. There's lots of people in the world that don't believe it. But God is still true. Anyway, so here's the thing. God said in this thing, you didn't believe the Lord your God. So today I call on you to believe in Him. He went the way before you to search out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night to show you by way, what way you should go and in a cloud by day. And the Lord heard the voice of your words and was angry and swore, saying, Surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see that good land which I swore to give to your fathers, save Caleb the son of Jephunneh. He'll see it, and to him will I give the land that has, he has trodden upon." And to his children, because he has wholly followed the Lord. And the Lord was angry with me for your sake, saying, You also shall not go in there. But Joshua, the son of Nun, which stands before you, he will go in there. Encourage him, for he'll cause Israel to inherit it. Moreover, your little ones, which you said should be a prey, and your children, which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they'll go in there, and unto them I will give it, and they will possess it. But as for you, turn you and take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. It's like knocking on the door, isn't it? And the Lord says, sorry, nobody's here. <laughs> Come back tomorrow. <laughs> I gave it the office, right? The Lord says, okay, you don't want to enter in. Fine, the wilderness is out there and you just go out there. And then you answered and you said to me, we've sinned against the Lord. We'll go up and fight now. Oh, when you, if you're going to take that from us, well, now we'll go. Right? We'll go up and fight according to all the Lord our God has commanded us. And when you had girded on every man his weapons of war, you were ready to go up into the hill. And the Lord said to me, say to them, don't go up, don't fight, because I'm not among you, lest you be smitten before your enemies. That's a scary thing to hear. God says, if you go fight, I won't be with you. Do you want to hear that in your, in your life? If you go there, I'm not going with you. But when you walk away from the Lord, that's what He's saying. When the Lord tells you what to do and you don't do it, right? And you go the other direction, right? God says, I'm not going with you. You, you want to go? Go ahead, but I'm not going. And it's going to end badly for you most likely. So, the Lord said, don't go up. I'm not among you, lest you be smitten before your enemies. So I spoke to you, and you wouldn't hear. But you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord, and you went up presumptuously into the hill. You just presume the Lord's going to be with you. 
And the Amorites which dwelt in that mountain came out against you and chased you like bees do. <laughs> we, were, we went to go get hay the other day, Asher and I. And uh, we were waiting around. And uh, in the bed of the truck, the bees had made a little nest. The wasps made a little nest in the bed of our truck. And we, we didn't know it was there. And I'm standing there and they're flying at me. Do you think I just stood there where they're flying at my face? Man, I just, I, oh, I'm backing up and I'm waving my, right? God says, I spoke to you, you wouldn't listen, but you rebelled against the commandment. You went up presumptuously and the Amorites that dwelt on the mountain came out against you and they chased you like bees do. You were like, whoa! <laughs> Swatting at them and trying, Right? When I'm busy swatting, how effective am I against that bee? I'm not that effective. I'm just trying to ward them off, right? Now, you give me a fly swatter in one, one of those wasps, and, and man, that, that wasp is dead meat. I hit one the other day, split in two, you know? But anyway, yeah, they came out against you, they chased you like bees, and they destroyed you in seer, even unto Horma. And you returned... And you wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not listen to your voice nor give ear to you. And so you abode in Kadesh many days according to the days that you abode there. Here's the thing. They went up presumptuously. The Lord said, don't go. And said, well, we're going anyway. And then when, when disaster came, um, the Lord didn't even need to say to them, I told you so. <laughs> right? I have, a, I have a, um, a friend right now. And um, a long time ago, he, he uh, made a mistake. I won't tell you his mistake, but he made a mistake. And uh, I wrote him a long letter, and uh, I said, watch out, because this sort of thing comes back around. And one day, the person that you made the mistake with is, is probably going to turn around and do the same thing. It just seems like, it's like the old line for karma, right? What goes around comes around. Right? It just seems to be that those things that we do that are wrong, and we do them wrong and knowingly wrong, they do. They just seem to come back around and bite you. Right? Yeah, Jesus said, cast your bread upon the water. You cast multi bread. <laughs> it, it will return to you. Yeah, multiplied. It's a concept that God put in. To the beginning. Yeah, it, it will come back multiplied, but we, we, only, we only want to see the good side of that there, right? And yeah, and what do we always say, you know, the old line that, you know, don't let the door hit you on the way out kind of thing, right? And, um, but you returned and you wept before the Lord. Man, I can't tell you the times that I've made mistakes and you just get that feeling in your gut, that sinking feeling. You're like, oh, I have messed up. I have so badly messed up. You ever had that feeling? Isn't that, I mean, I just, I, I, the, the, even now as I think about those things, it just, in the pit of my stomach, I have this, this tightening, right? And, and this is what they did. They went and they returned to the Lord and go, man, we have, Lord, please, can't we go in, Right? I made a bad choice. Can I, I'm repenting. Can I, can I go in now? Right? And the Lord's like, no, you, you can't. The, that door is shut. It's gone. It's done for. 
It's time to just move on. And now I'll take care of you, but it's time to move on. Right? And so they wept before the Lord, but the Lord wouldn't listen. Right? You ever had your, that happen with your kids, right? They want to do something, and, and you're good with it. They can go, or, or you provide opportunity for them, but then that door of opportunity shuts. And there's nothing you can do about it. And so they can't go in. And so you tell them, no, you can't go in. Yeah? A famous comedian once called it, this is your third final warning. <laughs> third and final warning. <laughs> oh, it's just so sad. You look at this. and go, So here's God. And he's reminding them of past relationships. Right? For good or for better or for worse, right? Past relationship. Guys, let's recall what happened here. And so he's going over that history. Why is it important for this new generation that's going to enter in to hear this history? They don't repeat the mistakes of their fathers. What is the line we always heard in history class? Say that again. Those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat. Amen. That's the importance of the book of Deuteronomy. Repeating the history is not what they want to do. They don't want to repeat history. The Lord doesn't want them to do the same thing again. So here they are at the door ready to enter in. Forget about the giants there. God is going to help them conquer those giants. Those fears that they have about entering in that their parents prevented them from going in, God says, don't worry, I've got it handled, you need to believe me. They wouldn't believe, they couldn't enter in. Don't go down that road, it will end badly for you. Right? Guys, that's our history right there. The, the mistakes that our fathers and, and mothers made, the mistakes that we've made in the past, don't go there again. Learn from those mistakes. Learn from that history. That's what we do as parents. We want our kids to walk rightly so they don't follow in the path of our mistakes. It doesn't always work that way, does it? Don't make the same mistakes I made. You hope they listen. Just like our parents hoped we'd listen. Right? We always want better for our kids than we have. It's just our natures. But that should be encouraging to us. Why? Because who's our Father? God. God wants better for us than we've had. He wants better for us than our parents had. He wants that intimate relationship and fellowship with you. Oh, how He wants to love on you. He did not bring you into this place to die at the hands of the Amorites. Right? Oh, how God loves you and He loves me. And how He's pointing the way out for those who still haven't come into that relationship with Him yet. He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. I believe in Jesus. Right? Amen? Amen. All right. Well, Lord, we just thank you and praise you for this word. We uh, we're so encouraged to get to go through the book of Deuteronomy and see 
that treaty that you want to make with us, Lord, that you want to have us walking uprightly and in fellowship with you, that you might lead us into that place of promise, Lord. You say that you have gone to prepare that place before us. If it weren't so, you wouldn't have told us. And now we look so forward to being with you and, and being able to see you and see your face, Lord. Oh, how we, uh, uh, we want to be used of you and we want to walk uprightly and how we uh, help us to cast out those things that, that slow us down and encumber us and help us to believe Jesus. You know, we, we believe, but help that part of us that, that does not yet believe, Lord, our unbelief. And uh, we just want to be able to um, trust you, Lord, and, uh, and that, have that faith. You say that we are saved by faith. And uh, that not of ourselves. Uh, we know we can't work it up. We can't, we can't build it up. But Lord, that you can um, certainly be the, the one that leads us and, and guides us by the, the power of your Holy Spirit into all truth. And we just thank you and praise you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.